In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It can be hard to remember what the world was like before March 2020. I mean, think about it. This past year and a half has been living like living in a time warp for most of us. Just think about what we've been together since March 13th, 2020. It's pretty hard to believe. I remember that day so well because we were literally about to get into our car and drive down to Camp McDowell for our parish retreat when the word came that our entire diocese had suspended all in-person gatherings. The rest of 2020 had its ups and its downs. And I remember on New Year's Eve when that ball dropped and it was finally 2021 and the whole world took this collective breath and said, thank you, God. And that lasted for what, six days? And here we are again, 2020 2.0. In the midst of all of the uncertainty and sickness and death we've experienced because of the coronavirus, you can throw in all of the other unprecedented events that have happened as well. Political unrest, turmoil, riots, social injustice to the extreme, famines, earthquakes, hurricanes, there is a lot going on in our world. I suppose there's always been a lot going on in our world, major disasters and unrests. But whether we like it or not, we are living in a time when we are being bombarded by information all the time. Our human psyche, our human capacity for feeling and for thinking wasn't designed to feel for the entire world's problems all at the same time. But just by turning on the news, that's exactly what many of us are doing every single day. And so we find ourselves this past year and a half facing record numbers of new cases of mental illnesses, both diagnosed and mostly undiagnosed. Depression, anxiety, addictions, strained relationships. It can be easy for us to get wrapped up, to feel like we're being overpowered by darkness. Maybe if you listen to certain folks on TV who are mostly trying to sell airtime, they'll tell you that things are really bad and they're only going to get worse. But we... We followers of Jesus Christ, while we do live in this world and are affected and suffer and have empathy just like anyone else, we know that there's actually more to this story. In our opening collect this morning, we prayed to God that we not be anxious about earthly things, but that we love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, we hold fast to those things that shall endure. Now, that's an easy thing for us to say, isn't it? And maybe it was an easy thing for us to fully believe and to profess two years ago. 
but it feels a little different now, doesn't it? There's always been illness and unrest in our world since the beginning of time. And no, I do not believe that God causes any of these terrible things to happen. I do not believe that God is somehow putting us to the test to determine the limits of our faith. I'd find it hard to believe that an all-loving God would do such a thing. However, I do believe that God wants nothing more than to be in a loving relationship with us. And the ways that we react to these events can either bring us into a closer relationship with God and with each other, or they can push us further apart. When we turn to our history as recorded in Scripture, it's evident that we have been wrestling with our relationship with God and with each other for quite a long time. The letter of James, which we heard read, is unique among the letters because unlike St. Paul's letters, which were written to specific churches, specific communities of newly forming Christians, James's letter was written later, and it was written to all of the new Jewish Christians throughout the world. So a lot of James's themes and his statements are more universal, more practical, and maybe easier to apply to our own lives. It's one of my favorite of letters. James realizes that the church, as it develops and as it grows, is just like any other community. It's made of people. And there have always been and will always be people who find power and find prestige and who want more of it. James realizes this and he implores and warns that young church, especially to those who are in authority, to make sure that their quest for power and truth and wisdom is driven for the right reasons, not being blinded by their own personal ambitions. He says, where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like any power, authority, or prestige that we hear about today. James says this because he's drawing from his own knowledge and his own experience with the scriptures. And the gospel lesson ties directly into James's thoughts. We know this story well. The disciples are walking down the road. Jesus has just explained to them that he, as the Messiah, will die and then rise again. They don't really understand what's going on because what Jesus just said doesn't make any sense. But being the great humans that they are, the first thing they do is start to argue about who will be the best and most powerful in this new reality that Jesus just told them about. But they know that they've done something wrong because they're actually embarrassed when Jesus asks them what they're talking about. Jesus tells them 
Whoever wants to be first of all must be last and servant of all. Now let's think about that for a second. Have you ever heard of someone running for a political office say, vote for me because I will sacrifice my career and my political ambitions for you? I will at all costs ensure the needs of our society are being met. I never heard that. That's not usually how power works, is it? Usually it seems like the first thing someone does when they come into a position of power is to start ensuring that they can remain in that position for as long as possible. Or better yet, to move up the ladder and gain even more power. That might seem like some theoretical or abstract illustration, but it can actually hold true for each and every one of us sitting in this room this morning. It never hurts to take a moment to reflect on the relationship we have with power in our own lives. And yes, we all have power. How we choose to use that power can have very serious effects in our world. Whenever we hurt someone or whenever we are in the wrong, we have the power to choose how we react. Is our first instinct to keep looking powerful and never admit our faults? Or do we choose to let go and instead try to empower the other who we have wronged? When we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis of health or of family or of faith, do we try to hold on to whatever power we think we may have at all costs? Or do we surrender our power, admit our weaknesses, and ask for strength from the doctors or from our spouse or even from the unending source of power itself, God? As we have all witnessed this past year and a half, there are many things we do not have power over many things we cannot control. And perhaps that's the most anxiety-producing fact of them all. But when the world responds to this power vacuum with hate and with fear, Jesus tells us to fill it with love and with mercy. There's no greater calling we have than to model true power and true love to the world. But to do so, we must model it first within ourselves. Is it always going to be easy? Probably not. But just remember that we have never been expected to do this all alone. So bring your worries, your fears, your hopes and ambitions before God. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you.